0: Monday night this week, Anne and I, my wife Anne, and myself, we are, went to another Tongan funeral waking service over at Sunshine. It was a church, Tongan church in there. We walked inside, and the building was filled with people praying. It's typical in a Tongan church that when a minister asks people to respond, People praying, and as we walk in, people were praying, and some were praying louder, and some was more softer, and others were just praying quietly inside. And we made our way inside, and then we found ourselves a seat at the pews. And as we just quietly trying to sit down, I noticed that there's a couple of people, two or three um, teenagers, were sitting in front in the front pews, and I quickly noticed that they had all their heads; uh, they all bowed, looking down and as if they were praying. And then I noticed they were all looking at their phone, <laughs> their mobile phone. <laughs> you might be laughing, but it's a great illustration of what our prayer life could look like from time to time. Bow our heads, we close our eyes, and then we connect with emotion, and yet we kind of disconnected with God. You know, something distracted us, the busyness of life, all the things in the world that we go through uh, as kind of distracted the takeaways or attention, and we ended up missing the opportunity to tap into the power of prayer that God has placed in the hands of His people. You know, today we're going to kick off our new series by talking about the power of prayer. And I want to say first of all that I, I want to admit that I, 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 I feel woefully uh, inadequate to pray. I don't want to convey the idea that standing here and pray that I'm an expert in, in prayer. That I've got it all together and it's easy. I am just struggling as you are In a lot of time when it comes to pray. But having said that, I also can say that God has changed my prayer life back then. I can remember around the 1990s when my late brother was diagnosed with uh, acute leukemia. And my dad and my family were around him, and and he was praying and praying and praying. Uh, He got us in the morning, and we pray, and at night we will pray before we go to to sleep. He would fast and pray and fast and and pray, and and, and his primary reason for doing what he was doing was to demonstrate that God is still a prayer-hearing God that is not in vain, not at all in vain, to trust in him. My brother was in remission, but then a year or so later, the cancer came back. And my dad increased his capacity to pray. He prayed even harder, even louder, even a lot more, fasting even a lot more. And one of his, I remember his theme verses was from 2 Kings, chapter chapter 20, verses 5 to 6. And it says this word, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the rule of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father says, I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you and three days from now you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Syria. My brother lived on for another 31 years before he passed away a few years ago. One day I asked my dad, "Dad, what motivates you to do prayer?" An inspiration that that inspired to really pray this hard. My dad was an ordained minister, and he told me the story that changes his life, too. He remember a Tongan minister. And this event where they were getting ready to, to, uh, to go on a boat. These are small little boats back then. To another island close by to a church conference. And it was a really bad windy weather, quite stormy. It was hard for them to, to board and go. And the rest of the ministers, they were a little bit afraid. And they didn't know what to do. And this church president he got off. And he came and stood right at the beach. And he put his umbrella on the beach, and he prayed, on his knees, and he prayed. The waves came, and they stopped right there. Those who stood by, they were terrified. But they were also amazed in the boldness of this man, of his faith, that he did what he did. Inspired many people in Tonga, and inspired my father As well. And hearing that story from my dad, seeing him praying for my brother, it showed me that I could look through that same Lord in prayer and that he will fulfill faithfully my needs. And although I'm nowhere near my father, uh in his prayer life and prayer style and all of that, you know, God has used my dad's experience over the years to keep teaching me and equipping me. To pray more. In our last sermon series, we look at the warning about what not to do with our faith from the book of James. And we look at some of the practicality of life and their implications. And last week, Pastor Stan concluded the stories by challenging us in how we respond to suffering. And he goes through three C's. Come on, help me out. What are the three C's that he spoke about he landed last week? Firstly, be... Confident. Second be confident. And third be courageous. If you got all three, you can leave now. You can go home and switch the TV on. You got it. If you didn't get any right, all right. You're, it's your first Sunday here, I can understand you haven't caught up with it. If, you're, if it's the first Sunday, and if you haven't been following our sermon series, I want to encourage you to uh, uh, go online and have a look at our uh, last sermon series. Uh, in particular, it's so crucial that you do, because it has a lovely link to what I'm about to say this morning as a launch to our to our, um to our series. And when you think that what, what we landed on last week was the highlight, was the climax, was all that James had to say in his letter, in his epistle, in this five chapter. When you think that he's done, he's got nothing else to give, he wasn't done. There's a few more verses in chapter five. The icing on a cake was yet to come. Let me explain. So let me read. Uh, If you turn with me to chapter 5, and I'm just going to read the first few verses before we landed on those key verses up there on the screen. Um, Chapter 5, verses uh, 13 to 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord and a prayer offering, in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Hopefully we can do a lot of that when we come together and pray in those Sundays. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And then he said, the effective prayer for righteous man can accomplish much. Well, the power in this context is really referring to the competent, to, the, 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 to all those free C's that we, we've been talking about. Keep that in mind. He's talking about the power of the righteous man. The confident, the comfort, the, the courageous, and the competent that he has. accomplished much that's translated to work and operate in effective prayer. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplished much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. It's, a very, it's another translation to what I put online, talking about the same thing. You know, I hesitate a little to try and explain this passage because there are different understandings, different interpretations to what these different opinions about what it means. But most people think that this is a passage is about fixed physical healing. But I'm convinced that this is not quite the idea here. And let me explain. First of all, it's so important that we understand the context of these texts. James is here that the context is, his book is about suffering and not so much about healing. He's writing his letter to an assembly of Jews and he heard Pastor Stan talk uh, about death throughout his this letter. They are called in verse 1 those who are scattered abroad. They left Palestine, they left Jerusalem uh, following the uh, persecution of Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8. And they find themselves out somewhere in the Mediterranean uh, in hostility. And James is here writing to them in the midst of stress and persecution, temptation and trials that the world is bringing to bear on them, to exalt them, to stay faithful. And it was tough. It was a, like a battleground for them. And James became today's text, which is the beginning of the paragraph with the question, is anyone among you who is suffering? And notice that doesn't surprise us because that's exactly what he's been talking about right through. Anyone suffer? Let him want. Let him pray. And these 13 the verses 13 to 18 are all about the subject of prayer. Not healing once again. Please don't get me wrong. That is, you know, it's about disregarding the fact that, that James ignored healing as if it's not important to him. And I was crooked this week and I needed to get better for this this morning. You know, I've been at the, at the, at the Peter Max Hospital and I've seen and needed that healing. Just last night, a friend of mine, close friend who lives in Manor Lakes, just posted a message to his friends and family. His wife's only got one month to go with, his, with her cancer. And, and it's heartbreaking that longing for healing. The apostle is very much focusing on the role of prayer when believers into a suffering and trials in life. And note, notice that the, that the words prayer and prayed are listed so many times in those six, seven verses—seven times it mentioned—and it shows that the heart of endurance. So, if you want to be able to endure suffering, what do you do? You pray. You depend on the divine resources, you go to God. You know, it would be awkward if James said what he said and, and made his argument and submit his cases for his writing and not even mention prayer. His whole theology of suffering would be kind of weak, if not incomplete. It wouldn't have much weight on it, but he hasn't mentioned it till Write the last few verses of chapter 5. Because in a sense, it's the climax of everything that he taught in those five chapters. The persecuted, the troubled, the tempted church will find that the heart of its endurance is a strong commitment to prayer. And this then is a passage on prayer. So the central theme set up in this passage is found in the second half of verse 16. The prayer of a righteousness is very powerful and effective, or if it's, it's, and it's working. The point is, is that James' aim here is to, to motivate his readers and us to pray wherever we are at and whatever we go for in life. as if everything in life motivation is, seems the key. And to motivate you to pray, James. Refer to the power of prayer, and then he illustrates it with the life of Elijah. You remember the last time you made a reference or a quote or something or someone just to, uh, to, uh, to support your case or, or your argument? I once told my wife that I've done a research and I found out that I know the solution, to weight loss. And she said, what is it? I said, Jenny Craig... I said, "Who's Jenny Craig?" Haven't you heard of a Jenny Craig. I tried to really convince her to know that Jenny Craig is, is a great program. And said, "How do you know that it's working?" I said, "Look at look at the TV. Look at the, look at the TV. Look how many people." I said, "Do you know those people?" I said, "No, I don't." Then how do you know it's working? Are they Tongans? Just trying to get really, really close to the heart that I'm tonguing, that make sure it's going to work to me. I said, they're not Tongans. Do you know any Tongans? No, it's the end of the story. <laughs> Didn't go down that pathway. In the world of research, particularly in university, you do a literature review, you look at the work of people that have done researches in those areas, and when you start writing and, and start working on your on your thesis, you start to quote. You quote some of the work they've done to be able to support your argument and the direction and the hypothesis and so forth. But if you quote people or something that is not quite well known, then your support and your thesis is not as strong. Your resources were not as supportive when they are unreliable. Generally, most of the people you refer to are people that are known in this academic field. James presented the body of his thesis on suffering and trial to the people, and then highlighted the solution of endearing followers of Christ by declaring his finding that the heart of endurance is prayer. And then he made reference to someone who is known in the Jewish world, and his name is Elijah. And what do we know about Elijah? He's one of the most well-known prophets of the Old Testament. He served during the time of Ahab when Israel was repelling against God. Probably get to bring out the list of the next slide. He was used to bring both the judgment and revival to Israel... He prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years And then he prayed again and it rained And Elijah was one of those two people Who did not experience death And then left to be with the Lord Elijah, and who's the other one? Yeah, that's who I'm calling after Enoch is Enoch in the Bible So if you see me keep going up in the sky then you know where I'm going he also met with Jesus in a glorified state during Christ's transfiguration. You can just imagine his reader, readers saying, wow, that guy, Elijah, everyone's talking about Elijah, how great a man, and even though it's hundreds of years passed, but everybody's still talking about this guy, Elijah. It makes sense that he quote Elijah. And then James say, hey, guys, you know what, there's more to it. He's just like one of us. He's just as human as us. Wow. Well, perhaps this might be seems easy for you to understand, but you know what? I find it challenging to see that to have the power in my prayer as Elijah did, you know, to be able to control the weather as Elijah did, Determine people's heart, as Elijah did. And maybe for you, you know, today you have felt as if your prayers have been challenging and and ineffective and unproductive. Maybe you have felt that, that the answer to your prayers have been too long coming. Maybe you have wondered if God hears your prayer at all. Today, let's hold on to those thoughts. Let's hold on those concerns as we go through and have a look at some of the lessons that we can learn from Elijah and look at the general principle that we can help us, that can help us to become more effective in prayer, both individually and corporately. Principle Paul number one, the lesson that we learn is that there's power in prayer when it's done, when it's done individually. Prayer from an individual is tremendously powerful. Now, I always love the power of prayer when two or three are gathered in your name, and we've been talking about us coming together and pray. As Matthew 18 19, Jesus spoke about agreeing together on earth, and the Lord will provide. However, there's also a great power when one person prays. According to James, the prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. Effectiveness comes from the Greek word "energio," uh, in which we find the word energy. This is great, energy. There is vibes in the prayers of a person because of one individual prayer, the waves stop at the umbrella. Because of one individual prayer, God stopped the rain for three and a half years and helped bring the nation of Israel to repentance. Now, here's the lesson that we can learn. Much good goes unaccomplished when individuals neglecting prayer. In Ezekiel 22, 30, it says, I look for a man from among them who would repair the wall and stand in a gap before me on behalf of the land so that I would not destroy, it, but I found no one. In reminds us to consistently stand in the gap for our family, for our leaders, for our community, for our nation, for our world. God hears our prayer in it, even if you are the only one praying. And He moves the heart of God. Secondly, there is power in our human righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we have to be perfect? Does that mean that we have to be holy and righteous before we activate that power? Well, in 1 Timothy 6.11, he says we need to pursue it. In the Gospel of Matthew 6, he said that if we are first a hunger for righteousness, he will fill us with it. Philippians 3.9 says that the righteousness is through faith in Christ. It comes from God and is by faith. So righteousness here is not the same as perfection. Mistakes we often make. It means that listening to God when he lays something out in our hearts to do, is about obedience, it's about discipleship, it's about growing, it's about spiritual maturity, taking responsibility for your actions and thoughts. That's intentionality. That is a willingness mature in faith and that counts as righteousness. And the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And James said, The prayer of a righteous person has a great effectiveness. Elijah, it's because he separated from the compromise of Israel, who worshiped Baal and separated themselves from God. There was great power in the prayers to bring change to the nation. There is power in the life of a godly person, and this is why the sick are encouraged to go and see the elders to pray so we must ask ourselves are we compromising in the world through our language, our entertainment or are we being holy before our God are our prayers effective or ineffective and here's what we learn a compromised life leads to ineffective prayer so if our prayers are like those teenagers at the church Heads down on your knees and eyes open and connected with emotion. Then don't expect our prayer to be as effective according to James. It's not righteousness. The third principle, there's power when our prayer is done with knowledge of God. It's purpose in aligned with his word. And you know, I'm leaving with my family from our Tongan Church here in Melbourne in the year 2000. To start pursuing ordained ministry outside of our Tongan community. It was tough. It was hard. It means that we have to leave our Tongan community behind. And it was challenging the whole family. Hard to leave the family. Challenged to go into a foreign, unfamiliar ministry context. Theologically, denominationally, and culturally as well. But I pray knowing that this is what God wanted me to do. His purpose for my life. And it's now 22 years later still serving That was what God wanted to happen. He said, You did not call me, but I've called you to go bear much fruit. And that was the purpose and the only purpose I knew back then. In our text, although the passage never clearly states this idea, the principle is very clear that Elijah was praying for what God wanted to happen. The man was in tune with God. Are you in tune with God? He knew that God wanted the to, to, to discipline the nation for turning away from him. the symbol of dryness of the people's heart, the land become dry as well. God's plan for the drought was to teach his people. And Elijah was praying a according to God's purpose. He acknowledged what God was saying, that they were becoming a drought if they continue to turn away from me. So Elijah knew his stuff. It's not that he wanted to see miracle. It's not that he wanted to be the greatest prayer warrior. He knows that it is God's will. Prayer is not about getting our will done; it's about doing the will of God. Here's a lesson: we should always pray according to the word of God, and His reveal. And this means if we are not in God's Word, we will often not know His will and therefore struggle to pray. And then Principle Paul, number four. There is power when it comes from the heart. No repetitive prayer, faultless prayer, quite easy to do. I grew up in a church tradition where the language of prayer becomes a pattern. The tone of the voice of the person praying is copied by everyone. You could hear everyone praying the same and there are others who just don't know what to say when they ask to pray. James said Elijah prayed earnestly, or in other words, fervently. Literally, it means he prayed in his prayer. And in Hebrew, it represents intensity, it, it, it represents passion to prayer. Elijah was determined and truly concerned when he prayed. Wherein WSB, said this about the church, many people do not pray in their prayer, they just lazily say religious words, and their hearts are not in their prayers. Someone else said that much of our prayer is not effective simply because it is not firm and it is often with a lukewarm attitude that virtually asks God to care about something that we care little about. Effective prayer must be firm and, not because we must. Emotionally persuade a reluctant God, but because we must gain God's heart by being fervent for the things He's fervent for. Certainly, we see effectiveness prayer, heartfelt prayer throughout the scripture. We know Hannah, she prayed so passionately at the temple, and the Lord provided her a son, Samuel. Jesus Christ was in the garden, He was so fervent in His prayer that. It says the sweat of blood became like a droplet of the sweat became like a great droplet of blood. And when he realized that this, the cup will not be removed, then he prayed that the Lord will resurrect him from this impending death. When we pray, do we really mean what we say? Are we really reaching out of the heart of God with our heart when we petition him? Or are we simply mouthing religious word out of a sense of duty and perdition? Effective prayer is fervent prayer. It's a prayer with the heart and the mind. Lesson number five there is power when prayer is specific. What does that mean? Elijah prayed simply for rain not to come, and rain didn't come. He prayed for rain to come, and it rained, and it did. Not that Elijah didn't simply pray broad prayers about the judgment, for judgment and then broad prayers for blessing. He prays specifically. And I think we should ask specific requests as to God as well. We do have a prayer chain. And often when people send a prayer, over 100 people are involved in a prayer chain. And often when people submit a prayer request, it is specific and we tend to follow up specifically. Sometimes when we can't discern how to be specific, perhaps Romans 8.26 says, It's helpful, the Spirit help us in our weakness, for we do not know how we should pray. Elijah was specific in his prayer. Don't be afraid to pray short and specific, but with heart of passion. And lastly, principle number six, there is power when prayer persists. Sat down with a family this week and we talk and she shared how she and her husband pray for eleven years that they'll get a visa to stay and live here in Australia. After eleven years, one night they almost give up being overseas. They receive a message calling, say, here is a visa. And they're back to Australia and they're here with us today. 11 years, continue to persevere praying to God. Pray, light like to pray seven times. Six of them was a no until the seventh time. It happened. We need to do, need to do the same. We need to pray and not lose heart according to Jesus. I want to draw a summary again, going through the six points to recap. There is power when prayer comes from individual. Imagine a collective of individual praying together as pastors stand said in the next 21 days. There is power in our human righteousness when we are yearning to live righteously in His righteousness. There's power in knowledge when we come to know the will of God and not ours. There's power in heartfelt attitude towards prayer. There's power in specific prayer that is direct to God. And there's power in persistence. Here's the application from James. We should be motivated to pray. The question is, are we faithfully praying for our families, our loved ones? Are we praying for our church, our communities, our cities, and our nations? Are we motivated to pray? Well, if you're not convinced yet, I want to ask three questions that I hope they should motivate every single one here today. Do we live in overwhelmingly ungodly times in our day and age? Often the daily news is enough to get you depressed. You hear the atrocities of war. You read about the degradation of morals in our country. You hear about the horrible decisions of our courts and courts and our government, and you despair. What do we do? <laughs> Easy to complain. We need to get down and pray. With Elijah, sometimes we may need to pray for drought, recognizing that the drought we pray for will dry up the well where we drink from. Sometimes, although we think that our nation has hit the bottom, it hasn't. Because if people do not, if people do not sense their need for God, there will not be genuine repentance. But when God hits our nation's Our cities will be in genuine repentance. With overwhelming catastrophe or withhold his blessings, people will eventually begin to see their need to come back to God. And also, Elijah, at the appropriate time, we need to pray for rain. There are situations, the circumstances where it might seem there's drought that we need to pray. There may be someone you know who in that situation pray for God's reigning spirit to pour to their place of drought. Pray for repentance, revival, and healing. And then finally, do we face circumstances that are far beyond our ability to change? Then we ought to pray. A loved one's heart is hardened Against the Lord, only God can break that hardening heart. Pray. You or someone you know has a degenerative disease, as we heard. The doctors have done everything. Pray. Pray for God's healing. But pray that there might be a, a delay. And pray for the family because something powerful can still happen. So God sends some overwhelming circumstances into our lives to teach us what Paul learned. Indeed, we had the sentences of death within ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And it's letter to the Corinthians. Here's the conclusion. In closing, I just want to quote this famous American Methodist minister, E.M. Down, who said that prayer is a wonderful power that plays in the hands of his saints. That's you and I. Which may be used to accomplish great purposes and to achieve unusual results. The only limits to prayer are the promises of God and his ability to fulfill those promises, which is only in the hand of God. Another Scottish Scottish minister, Peter Taylor Forsyth, said this, Prayer is a weapon, a mighty weapon in a terrible conflict. Our prayers are to be a continual, conscious, earnest effort of battle, the battle that gains whatever is not God's will. The battle belongs to the Lord. So let me ask you in closing, Are you ready and excited for the next 21 days of prayer journey? How is God calling you to grow in your prayer life and in the discipline of seeking prayer from others in the next 21 days? Let me pray. Loving God, we thank you. for James for teaching us and reminding us of how important it is that we remain faithful in our relationship with you. Thank you Lord Jesus for Elijah's story which helped to empower and teaches us how we can grow in our prayer life. And Lord, whatever that means for each and every one of us this morning as we receive your word, help us, Lord, to tap in, never to let anything to stand in the way of tapping in to the power of prayer that you place in the hand of people like us, just like Elijah. And help us to grow so that we may continue to commit to prayer is we are encouraged to be courageous in this journey whenever we go through suffering, trials, and challenged. Prayer is our default to connect with God. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for the quiet work of God. Thank you that the battle belongs to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.